go. My name's Todd. This is Kathy. Welcome back to another episode of Zen Parenting Radio. This is podcast number 680. Why listen to Zen Parenting Radio? Because you'll feel outstanding. And always remember our motto, which is that the best predictor of a child's well-being is a parent's self-understanding. Episode number 680. Those are three even numbers, sweetie. I like that. Unless you call zero an even number because it's really the absence of numbers. There is nothing. It's not a number. It's the absence of numbers. It's a symbol to represent the absence of numbers. Were you good at math growing up? No. Were you good Are at, you really asking me that were question? Were you good at arithmetic? You know, honestly, when, I was... When did you struggle? When did it start? That's what I was going to say. I was good from until about uh, eighth grade. And then, when I say good, I w- was fine. Yeah. Like, it wasn't an issue. I didn't think about it much. But then once I got into things that were like algebraic and mm. geometraic. Yeah, anything beyond arithmetic. I remember like I think of arithmetic as plus minus multiplication division. And I remember being good at that. I'm like, I got this math right. thing. Oh yeah, me too. Like and I I literally thought that that was the end of math. Like, right. After that that's it. No, it kind of went into a whole new brain. And I, you know, I've shared before, or I've shared with the girls, I mean, I've shared on the show, but that like, there was a class that I had to take at, you know, at the end of high school, that was like some kind of advanced algebra, functional, crazy, beyond what I thought I could do. And so I ended up taking a pass fail and I got, and my, I sat with my teacher while she graded my final and I got like a mid D and she and I like jumped up and down and we're so excited because I passed. I was excited for you. Thank you. Well, so, and that's the thing is like, you know, the question when people say, are you good at this? Um, And then we're like, no, I'm not. And I just did it. Like, so I'm obviously pointing the finger at myself. We are, it just depends on which version. Do you know what I mean? Like we, everyone can enjoy an aspect of math, but the way it's presented to us. I'm going to clip that and just have you (laughs) and repeat that in your headphones over and over again. Well, like, and part of it is that we need it in some ways. We need it when we're, you know, doing things in everyday life, but a lot of it we don't ever use. What's the line from Breakfast Club where he says, Bender, do you know if there was no engineering, there'd be no, no, there's no trigonometry, there'd be no engineering. Correct. And then Bender says, if there's no lamps, there'd be no light. There'd be no light. We have to do a pop culturing on Breakfast Club, sweetie. I know. We'll get there. So anyway, why are you asking me this question? I have no idea. Okay. We started with the podcast number 680. Um, So just real quick, uh, Team Zen, we have a lot of things going on. Um, We have four events in the next 10 days. We have a Zen talk this Wednesday. Okay. We have a micro community of parents of differently wired kids on the 20th of October. We have another micro micro community for separation, the separation divorce community. Okay. And then lastly, we have Team Zen presents Dr. John Duffy on October 28th. So basically what Todd's saying is Team Zen is our virtual community that you can join literally this second if you scroll down. Um, and within this big umbrella of Team Zen, we have micro communities, groups of people who are focusing on specific topics. And then we also have... Um, speakers who come in and do Q&A with people who are on Team Zen. So Dr. Duffy is our guest this month. And then we also do another Zen talk during the month that's Todd and I. So, you know, Todd and I get a lot of emails about, you know, coaching or, you know, can you be my therapist or can you answer this question? And this is a place where you can go and have all those things because it's Todd and I and also a community. And there's another micro community about to begin, which is a People who have loved ones who are struggling with addiction. Oh, perfect. So, Oh my anyways. gosh, that's great. And this came, th- th- these were not my ideas or Kathy's ideas. They're team members. Yeah, the team come up Who with are them. like, this would be fun if I can align myself with certain people that are struggling, challenged, working through a similar issue. You use so, the word fun. Uh, this would be helpful maybe. Um, or fun. Oh, it could it's be. fun connecting with others. It is. Right? It's just the topics are... Heavy. You know, they can be. And But to your point, when we are dealing with something and we realize other people are dealing with the same thing, it's less heavy. Um, okay, I'm going to challenge you really quick, Let's sweetie. And you can say no. Okay. Are you sure you don't want to talk about present time decision making versus future time decision making as it results to your happiness last night when you uh, had a phone call with a friend? Yeah. I mean, it's not that there's anything to hide. I just don't think it's that interesting. I think it is. 
why? I don't understand. Like, go take me through it's what you're thinking. It's the idea thinking. of we are making decisions and we're giving sometimes ourselves away. Um, we, d- we don't realize the impact of our decisions. Like, you know, if somebody were invite invite me to a ball game mm-hmm. for next Tuesday, mm-hmm. and I'd be like, oh, I'd love to go to that ball game next Tuesday. And as we get closer to next Tuesday, I'm like, God, I got so much to do. Or, my God, I'm so tired. Or, my God, I haven't spent any time with my kids. And as we get closer to that date, we realize we don't, I don't want to go to it. Well, here's, okay. So here's the thing. I think the reason I don't think it's that interesting is it's not something I struggle with. Mm -hmm. Now, it may be interesting to talk about what, so here's the thing. There, I don't really have things that I'm doing work-wise or socially that I don't want to do. And I think most people... Um, struggle more. I agree, which yeah. is why I don't know if I can really speak to all that. I'll tr- I'll do my best. I think you're the person, perfect person okay. to speak to it. So what I mean by this is if somebody asks me to do something and it's something that I don't want to do, I don't say yes. Mm-hmm. And I mean that with work and I mean that with social experiences. I mean that with if someone's like, you know, can I just book a quick session with you tomorrow. And if that doesn't work for me, it doesn't work. Mm-hmm. Like I'm I'm very good at setting boundaries. But occasionally, I think the experience that you're talking about is, I mean, it was literally with my best friend. Sure. So that's, that's not a problem at all. I want to be with her as much as I can be. But we made a plan to do something that in the moment sounded like a good idea. Yeah. And then um, as we drew closer to the, to our plan, it we were both, it, it, we were exhausted and we didn't want to do what we had planned to do. And I think it, and she and I can have these conversations where she, you know, we both were just kind of like, are we really doing this? Like, do we really want to do this? And we were able to then cancel the plan um, and, and not go. But the reason that it, it's not that interesting, I think is because I would have gone anyway, just to spend time with her. Sure. But I think that what we do is we say yes to things in the moment. I think this is what you're getting to, Todd. We say yes to things to kind of be like, yes, I'm going to do this, or I'm in because we don't want to disappoint anybody, or maybe we think, oh, I should want to do this. You know, this this should be important. So this is what I'm going to do. I actually have, because I'm a coach, and I sometimes help guys set up their own boundaries, um, and it's hard to say no to somebody who's asking. You know, we talked about bids for connection last week, right? yeah. And I think it's an interesting um, personal growth exercise to be able to say no with love and compassion. Mm, and sometimes yeah. it's really hard to have the tools to be able to say no with yeah. love and compassion. So I created this document, I guess about a year ago, and mm-hmm. it's called What Are Thoughtful Ways I Can Say an Honest No to Others? Mm-hmm. And there's 10 of them, and I'm not going to say them all, but I'm going to link it into the show notes okay. in case anybody wants to see it. But I just want to say a few of the shorter ones. Um, I'd, like, I'd like to say no for now, and I'll get back to you if I change my mind. Okay. Eh. It sounds like a great opportunity. I don't like saying no, but I'm going to prioritize handling what I already have on my plate. Okay. Uh, And then we'll do one more. I'm disappointed because my head says yes, but my gut says no. And I've learned to really trust my gut in situations like this. Yeah. I mean, I, the reason why I was like, uh, is it's not because I don't think those are good ideas because Mm -hmm. the language is very um, clear and concise. I just don't talk that way. Well, and the idea is this is a foundation for somebody to filter through their own lens. So I think that the best thing that, you know, what I talk to people about using, um, in the moment is thank you for asking me, can I get back to you? Perfect. And then we, um, or, you know, like the way I would say it, if somebody's like, can we do this and this and this sometimes, and again, I don't want to act like we're always just trying to put people off and that we really know for sure the answer is no. Cause it's possible. It could it's be a possible yes. It could be a yes. So this isn't about like pushing people away. Sure. This is about like, um, if someone is like, can you be in charge of this or can you do this or can we get together on Wednesday in that moment, if we have, um, if we tend to go people pleaser, we're probably going to say, yes, absolutely. Let me figure it out. Call me later. And we'll feel like we're pushing it off. But really what we've done is we've put put it back on them. We put it back. Well, this person now thinks we're going. Yeah. And so we have actually hurt them more. Yeah. By saying, yes, I'm going to do this in some way, shape, or form, instead of saying, don't make the plan yet, let me think about it. Mm -hmm. Because what I don't want to do to people, 
Because what a lot of people do is they'll make the plan and then they'll cancel last minute. And then they'll say, oh, I had a family thing or I just couldn't make it happen. And what you don't realize you've done is this other, well, maybe you do, this other person has, has created their whole day around you. You're going to give them the bad news. Give it to them now before, yeah, later. Exactly. Like, don't make the plan if you know you're going to cancel. That's an obvious thing. But maybe don't make the plan until you know it's something you want to do. See, there's two sides to this. There's what do you want and setting your own boundaries and taking responsibility for yourself and not not being annoyed at others for asking you to do things. Mm -hmm. That's a beautiful thing. But then you have to take responsibility for saying yes or no. And then on the other side, if you do accept the request, if you cancel right before, like, for example, part of the reason that Todd and I don't have guests all the time, most of it is, is because we just want to talk to each other. And this is the way we like to do the show. But a lot of times it can be difficult because like people cancel or they can't show up on time or, and then it becomes a part of our day Mm -hmm. and our experience where we can't function because we're waiting on other people. And so that is, and you can take that to work. You can take that socially. Um, and so, anyway, I don't know. Does that help, Todd? It does. Thank okay. you very much. Here we go. I planned each charted course, each careful step along the byway and more, much more than this. I did it. My way. Frank. Yeah, that kind of goes with what we're talking about. Oh, does it? I didn't. Even, I didn't even connect well, the dots. Well, just I mean, it's not a direct line, that's for sure. But oh, like yeah, yeah. being able to question, you know, yeah. why you're doing what you're doing. So I played that because it's the uh, quote that Kathy has in the beginning of her Friday Zen Parenting moment. Um, do you want me to read a few highlights yeah. from it since you haven't... I think I called it questioning. Questioning. And a few highlights that I created. Questioning can become a grounding experience in our lives, offering us the space to take a breath, consider, and then respond rather than react. We can question and then choose what's most important. We can question and then decide which relationships mean the most to us and channel our energy accordingly. And then you also bring up James Clear yeah, Atomic Habits. Mm-hmm. And a James Clear quote is, you do not rise to the level of your goals, you fall to the level of your systems, meaning we need to develop questioning habits that make sense to us and fit into our lives. And you just talked about something as simple as setting an alarm on your phone as a reminder to stop and breathe. Yeah. And so what does stop and breathe have to do with questioning? I think that it it is really just connected to what we just talked about before, because I think that we, uh, us humans, we tend to move on autopilot without even knowing it. And we, the wake up calls usually come in the form of something doesn't work out the way we want to. We're like, wait a second, I got to keep going down this track, you know, and something didn't work out or God forbid we have a crisis or, you know, we get bad news or sometimes we get some amazing news. It doesn't always have to be bad, but those things wake us up. But the truth is we can on a daily basis recognize you know, where we are, are we going in the direction we want to, are we saying the thing we wish we were saying? Because I have conversations, you know, again, mostly, most, most of the time with women and they'll say, you know, I was with this person and I said A, B and C, and that's not really how I feel. And I don't really believe that. Or, you know, I'm having a conversation with my partner and I didn't say anything when really I have 10 things to say. And I guess the, my, you know, I always think to myself, like, why don't we be a little more Uh, maybe the word is prepared or aware Mm -hmm. of what we're saying and why. And, and again, sometimes things come off the cuff and it just happens. We're never going to do this perfectly. I feel like that's like the phrase we say the most, we're never going to do this perfectly, but it's not, it's when we have those experiences where we had this opportunity to say something important and we didn't, or we have the experience where we say something that we don't believe at all, that's like an opportunity to stop and say, okay, wait a second. Why am I reacting in this way? But I don't think we question enough. I don't think we, I don't think we recognize the importance of taking a moment. And, and so the James Clear thing about um, making it a habit is do you, you know, it's just like meditation helps with being mindful during the day. Do you during the day stop occasionally and take a breath and, and notice where you are? 
you know, is this what I want to be doing? Even if it's not something like you're driving your child to their 10th thing that day, are you, do you know where you are? So no matter where anybody is right now, yeah. let's just all take one deep yeah, breath. Yeah, just take one deep breath. So just hold on wherever you are, even if you're in the car, don't close your eyes, but just take a breath and exhale and just notice where you are. Feel what you're feeling, like feel the steering wheel or notice the counter if you're in the kitchen or if you're taking a walk. Notice the air. Just notice where you are. And that in itself clears your head a bit where you're like, do, am I, you know, like it could just be the next step in front of you. You don't have to like decide your life goals in this moment, but it's like having a sense of not being on autopilot. Yeah. It's just noticing where you are. Yeah what's going on around you and inside of you. Inside of you, yes. Um, we had a question that we're going to base today's podcast off of from one of our Team Zen members. Okay. And she writes, um, the word codependency keeps coming up for me. I think for myself and so many mothers and maybe fathers too, my entire happiness or even contentment seems to be inextricably bound up in the happiness of my children yeah. and partner. I never thought anything of that for years, but now as my children are growing up, they're in their younger teen years. I'm wondering, is there a space where my contentment lies that is not entirely dependent on where others are at? Hope this makes sense. Thanks for all you do and so on and so forth. Thank you for submitting that wonderful questions. We've done 680 podcasts. I don't know if we've de dedicated one to codependency. We've talked about codependency, but I don't know if we have a show called Cold Codependency. So no, this one will be that one. We're about to, yeah. Yeah. Um, so in answer to your question, yes, there absolutely needs to be a space. And when I say a space, what I mean is an understanding that it is okay to have part of your time, your life, your brain, and your body that is not 100% connected to the, you know, how your partner or how your children are doing. In your own words, will you define for anybody as like codependency? I think I know what that is. What is that? Well, here's the thing that it gets tricky. And I know we're spending the whole show talking about it. So I'm going to try and work through this in real time. Mm -hmm. Okay. Because codependency is basically where we are our ability to feel good or our ability to feel alive or as a productive human being is dependent on how well we are taking care of others or how well others are doing. Mm -hmm. And that then defines how well we are doing. Um, the, the, the thing about codependency that gets tricky is a lot of people historically, like the Melody uh, Beattie books and stuff is, I don't know if it's Beattie or Beatty. Uh, I hear it both ways. Just so you know, I have no idea who you're talking well, about. Well, anyway, she, she is, she is the author who's written, like she wrote codependency no more. And I, you know, a bunch of codependency journals and workbooks and I have a bunch of them. She likes to write about codependency. It's her thing. Okay. And, and it tended to be historically a lot more connected to, um, children who grew up in a family with addiction, um, children who grew up in a family with abuse and neglect. Mm -hmm. So there was a lot of obvious reasons why someone would have a codependency issue. Because if you grew up in a family where you had to tiptoe around people and your survival was dependent on how everybody else in the home was doing, you become pretty... Uh, astute mm. as far as what emotions are happening in the home and what you can do and what you can't do and what you can say and what you can't say, you know. So your whole sense of survival becomes dependent on how other people are reacting and responding to the world and to you. Mm -hmm. So you can understand how someone like that would grow up and that would be the way they relate to people. Not only like Am I okay? I'm okay if you're okay. Mm -hmm. And not only that, but like they, you end up viewing yourself in like you, let's see, how do I say this? You view yourself on your perceived um, goodness. <laughs> let's see. I, I want to say this in the right way. Um, you are only as good as what other people think you are. Mm -hmm. Do you know what I mean? So you view yourself on your perceived usefulness to others. How's that? Well, and I think that's one half. And then the other half that you said is how well they are doing. It's not, it, it, and maybe for some, it's just how they're perceived. And for others, it's literally, is my kid happy or unhappy? Well, and this is why it gets tricky. Do you see what I mean? Like mm. this, it isn't because what I wanted to say is that is typically, so when someone heard the word codependency, even I think historically therapists, they assume that this child probably had a pretty, um, 
maybe a difficult upbringing, an obvious, overt, abusive home life, and that this was the defense mechanism that they put in place. I think what we've come to realize is it doesn't have to be, you don't have to be a child of an addict to have codependency type behaviors. What I would say, and you know, I I know you did a little bit of work in preparation of this podcast Uh and I did none, but I would say that there's probably maybe not just as many, but there's a handful of people that grew up in that type of environment that are not codependent, but instead completely walled off and detached. Well, and that's the thing is that not everybody is going to, and again, you know, when we're talking about clinical terms, Mm -hmm. a lot of people will be like, well, I'm a codependent person. That's a pretty strong thing to to say who you are. Exactly. Because there's all sorts of other things where you may not be responding codependently. In this, in this part of my world, I'm right. codependent. Correct. And that part of my world, I'm completely detached. And so we could call that codependent. We may have codependent tendencies. Mm-hmm. We may have codependency when it comes to partnership, mm-hmm. but maybe we don't in, in our work situation. Mm-hmm. Like, And a lot of that depends on our history. And it could be how we viewed our um, parent. Like maybe we had a home that was filled with love and connection, but we also watched the way if we if we grew up with you know two parents the way that our parents related to each other and there was a codependency mm-hmm. and so then we see partnership that way. Well, and I feel like it's easy like to stigmatize this idea. Like, mm-hmm. yeah, I think if my kids are doing well and you're doing well, and I know this is kind of like a very specific example, it's no wonder that I might be predisposed to do well. And if my kids are having a really crappy day and you're having a really crappy day. I think it makes total sense that I might also be having a little bit of a crappy day just because these people who I love, who are my most important people, you know what I mean? I do. And I don't think we'd call that codependency then. I think that we would call that a typical... So what's the difference between what I said and what codependence is? So I think the... Let me just say some things about if you are experiencing true codependency, like let's start with the you view yourself on your perceived usefulness to others. So this is something that I think I struggle with and that I've struggled with for a long time for a variety of reasons. Um, And I think I never was able to really latch on to the codependency word because I wasn't a stereotypical you know, example mm-hmm. of somebody who had a history that would then result in codependency. Okay. But the truth is I struggle with this. Mm-hmm. I have a way that I have um, maneuvered through the world is by making sure that I'm useful to other people. And unfortunately, um, I... If, if someone does not find me useful, if I don't have a skill set that they require, then I'm kind of like, well, then what's, why do you need me? Mm-hmm. <laughs> then, and that's my, I'm yeah. not talking about them. Yeah. This is my issue. Yeah, why am I here? Why am I here? If like, I'm not being helpful to you. Which is a struggle with self-worth mm-hmm. and self-love because you really believe that your worthiness is based on how much you're helping other people. This is, for those of you who are in the Enneagram world, like I'm a two. Mm-hmm. So this totally feeds into this, sure. right? A two is the helper. Like, show me how I can help you and then I understand why I'm lovable. Yeah. But if someone doesn't need my help and they're like, no, just just be. Mm-hmm. And, and again, I'm lucky to have relationships like this. Like I know that they exist. I have them. But they still sometimes can be like, well, wait a second. Don't you need something from me? Yeah. And that's not how, you know, that is a codependency issue yeah. that I have. Um, but other another way to see it, um, you have poor boundaries. What we were just talking about at the beginning, like you believe that you are supposed to be helping people at all times mm-hmm. and that you your unmet needs forget about them. Mm -hmm. Like your whole purpose is about making sure everybody else is okay. Living from the outside in. And there's a martyrdom to it. Um, There is a, and again, I, in my mind, I'm like seeing all these different levels because there's like a mother martyrdom, but then there's also somebody who really believes that their needs are not valuable. Mm. Like they don't see themselves as a piece of the puzzle. They're like, really, it's just, and, and again, you have to remember why for the person who grew up in a home where they were like, I can literally not survive if these other people are not okay. Like if I am, I mean, you can take it to the extreme of if I am being abused, then I, then you also get into that I caused that. Mm -hmm. There's this belief system children have that they're causing things, even though people are treating them 
you know, inappropriately because of their issues. It's not the child's fault at all. But a child is like, okay, I, it's almost like a magical thinking, like where I have to make sure everybody's okay and not have my own needs and meet everybody's else, meet everybody else's needs so I can survive. And if they are set off, if they are angry, then what did I do to cause that? It's like an, it's like an extreme enmeshment Mm -hmm. with everybody. And then you take that into all your relationships. Now, the other interesting piece of codependency is it really is just a need for control. You're just trying to control your environment. Yeah. And to this, keep yourself safe. And this is where I think that we can notice our codependency when it comes to parenting. Because a lot of times parents say, and again, I'm going to use the word codependency, but can we all just listen and agree that there are many levels of this? Yeah, there's all these different... I think of it as a line graph. Uh, like a continuum, And in yes. the middle is a perfect balance between, um, you know, detaching from certain people and de- you know what is a four agreements by don miguel ruiz is um don't take things personally mm-hmm. and so like that's a healthy thing but if so on one side you're completely detached yeah at an extreme level and on the other side you're completely i guess attached to other people almost like a like a barnacle and there's <laughs> like you're over attached and there's all these levels in between and what we yeah. want to do is find that yes. center ground yes. and notice instead of walking around calling ourselves codependent people mm-hmm. these are codependent tendencies yeah. this is where i do not have a separation between myself and somebody else mm-hmm. and so how this can show up in parenting and i, I you know you can understand this as parents will say you know, I am having my kids do this or wear this or act like this or be in this, you know, in this sport because I know what's best for them. Yeah. When really you're controlling their behavior. Sure. Let's be real here. You know, like I, when I have conversations, I'm a little more blunt than I used to be, but you know, parents will be like, well, this is just something I know my kid and my kid has to do this and they, they have to move. I need to have them moving every day and I need to have them, um, uh, you know, busy during the day and they're like, and so I'm going to put them in this thing and they're going to, you know, go to this practice and they're going to be, this is going to be who they are. And, and like everything I just said there, there's nothing inherently wrong with that. If the kid is also buying into this, if you are completely controlling the experience for them, if you are deciding everything for them, if you are choosing their clothes, if you are telling them when they need to shower, if you are telling them what they need to be involved in and they don't have a say, that is control. And the interesting thing is that's an overpowering, but that's still a codependency Mm -hmm. because your sense of safety and security is based on them doing these things. Then you feel safe. Well, one of the things I wanted to mention is that, uh, and maybe we'll get to this later, but the cost uh, that let's just talk from parent to child relationship, the cost of being codependent with your children, one of them from my perspective would be you don't give them an opportunity to fail and learn and build any type of resilience. If you're trying to control outcomes and want to make sure that they always get an A on their test or they always are doing all these things that you want them to do, you're really not giving them an opportunity for their for their own process. Well, and it's like, let's just talk about the starting point of what we talk about on this show. Like we talk about parental self-awareness and that's really the gist of it. But why do we practice parental self-awareness? Because the only way to give our kids space and to understand them is to first understand ourselves. And then the next step is who are our kids? Who did they come here to be? And what are their impulses? What is their what are their intuitive hits? What are the things they gravitate toward? What are their special gifts, their native genius? But if you are telling them what to do all the time, there is no way they can uncover those things. And when they are uncovering those things, there might be spaces of time where they are not doing the things that you expect a kid, and I'm putting this in air quote, you expect a kid to be doing. Mm -hmm. They may be taking a break from something. They may be trying five things at once. They may be not specializing the way that you want them to. They may be saying, you know what, I want to take an AP class here, but I don't want to take this AP class because, and and then we get all worked up about, is my kid an AP student or not? Versus we're not listening to where they feel that they they belong, the things that they feel they're good at. And that's what the practice of self-awareness is. And so a lot of times what we don't, what we don't recognize that we're doing is we're saying, I want my kid to be self-aware as long as 
all their awareness is around everything I want them to do. Can you give any examples of when you noticed that you're like, oh, wow, I am too close to this? Um, daily. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> what, this what is... are some of the bigger ones you're like, wow, I really need to take a step back? Okay, so let me be clear. When I say daily, what I have been able to learn over the years as a parent is I don't get overly involved externally with the kids' lives, okay? So it's like this is another different layer. These are different layers in codependency. I do not tell the kids what to be in or what they should do. Um, Yours is covert. It's hidden. Mine is internal emotional experience that I'm having where I'm way too connected to their experience. So it's like they have the freedom to make their own choices and they're much older now, you know, but I was, even when they were little, Todd, we were working really hard on this. Well, I think it's an important differentiation that we need to have. Codependency can show up overtly, yes, which means they're, the parent or I would be super engaged with whatever the kid is doing so that I can make myself feel, feel in control good. and all that. Exactly. We feel, because of what they're doing, we feel more secure. And then there's a covert, a hidden version of that where we still let them do whatever they're going to do and fail, yet unless they crush it, we are a mess emotionally. And you know what my therapist has helped me with, because again, I, I codependency is a really loaded word mm-hmm. and, and there's nothing wrong with it. Like we're talking about it here, but what the language that I use about my experience is I have an over-identification with my kids and, and with you sometimes. And how is, is that uh, in the same neighborhood it's, as codependency? Oh, absolutely. Is, is, it, is, it, is it slightly different or is it basically a different way of explaining it's the same thing? It's just a different way of explaining the same thing. Mm-hmm. I just think that we, you know, and I'm not playing with words so I can say, no, I'm different than other people. I'm saying that when I hear, you know, a codependency is I need you to do certain things so I feel safe and secure. Yeah. I don't really do that. Right. But I do have, I'm going to, you know, you are your own person. I'm with you. I'm supporting you. But as I'm watching you struggle, I am feeling all of your struggle. And I have an over-identification with these people I love where I am like going through it myself internally. And, And sometimes, you know, it's the practice of I can sometimes see if you would do A, B, and C, this probably wouldn't hurt so much. And I can't always depend on the fact that they're going to ask me for that advice. And I have to recognize that I have to sit in that messiness. And they often do ask me for the advice and I can share it. And sometimes they use it and sometimes they don't. Do you see how complex this gets? Like we have to know our boundaries and we have to respect our kids' boundaries. Mm-hmm. And we have to like see it. Like, so for me, the over-identification is that I can't, and part of that is, again, I'm going to go back into my own, because of the way that I relate to people and I feel them, it's very hard to not over-identify. If they walk, I could be like fine thinking about something completely different. And if they walk in the kitchen and I feel their energy and I may not even know exactly what it's about, but I have to be very aware of not trying to like micromanage them. So I feel better. Does that make sense? It does. It's making me wonder, and I just Googled this. And okay. Hey, everybody. On October 27th, step out of school and experience independent, meaningful learning with Mosaic. The pandemic raised big questions about how we learn. Now there are millions of families searching for a better learning experience for their children. More than ever, families across the nation are open to exploring alternatives to their current education choice. Independent learning goes beyond the one-size-fits-all approaches found in traditional classrooms. Better serving kids' learning needs and providing a more meaningful experience to acquire a broad range of life skills. Join Mosaic's Day of Action on October 27th. Sign up and learn more at weareborntolearn.org. And now back to the show. It does. It's making me wonder, and I just Googled this, and maybe okay. you can help me work through this, sure. of the difference between enmeshment and codependency. Okay. And I'm just going to read what I Googled. Sure. Enmeshment is when someone cannot differentiate between their problems and others. Correct. They feel personally responsible for others' feelings or mistakes. This is a result of abuse most of the time. Think of emotional incest. Think of Rapunzel and her mother from the Disney movie Tangled. Well, and that's, I mean, that can be true, but again, different levels. Like this is what we used to believe is I don't have codependent tendencies because I didn't grow up in an abusive or with a, a parent who was an addict where 
you can also have enmeshment with people just because you have figured out that it you you could be come into the world mm-hmm. like as a more empathic person and you have a hard time knowing what's yours and what's somebody else's. And it could stem from your upbringing in trauma. It could stem from that you didn't feel like people understood you. There was definitely an aspect of that for me that I had to learn how other people were feeling. I don't even want to go down that Okay, track. so so once again, okay. enmeshment is when someone can't differentiate between right. their problems and others. Codependency, as whoever wrote this says, it's when someone en- enables someone else's bad behavior because they fear abandonment and need to be needed. So that's actually the next one. So this is why this is such a broad conversation because a lot of times what happens in codependency is we are allowing... So let's think about the child um, who has a parent who is a alcoholic. So they may enable what they're doing. And again, children, when I'm talking about children enabling... It's not they're they're trying to survive. Yeah, they're, okay? they're doing it from their survival self. But they may do things like their parent drinks too much at night, but they wake them up in the morning mm-hmm. and make sure that they get to work. Yeah. And so they're not allowing their parent to sit in their bad decisions and consequences. They are like, I need you to survive. And so I am going to help you. It's like, and again, this is not as big of a deal, but you probably didn't want your mom to smoke, right? Right. But you went and bought her cigarettes. I did. Okay. So you were like, I want to maintain this connection with my parent. So I may be enabling this behavior because I need to survive and I want to maintain a connection with them. Got it. So, so let's flip that script. So would it, so you said that's parent to child, I'm sorry, child to parent. Uh Would a parent to child example be, um, I got a big biology final tomorrow and I think I'm just going to blow it off mom. Like, no, no, you got to get A's. So I'm going to outline it for you. I'm going to quiz you. I'm going to do we're going to get you. We're going to get you an A on it that test. It becomes your test too. Yeah. So you're enabled. And, and the kid is that this is where it like gets really confusing because when parents don't figure this out for a long time, when they've been doing this all along the way, for example, let's just go with things that are not about school. You have been dressing your child mm-hmm. every day and telling them what to wear and telling them what doesn't work or wanting them to be trendy. And then they get to a certain age where they're like, mom, I don't know what to wear or let or find me something new or go shopping with me and get me this. And then we're annoyed at them mm-hmm. for not having their own sense of style. Yeah. But we've been the ones dressing them every yeah. day or we've been the ones telling them that they should look a certain way. We didn't allow them to develop a sense of self and style because we told them what it was. Why did we do that? It made us feel more secure because we didn't want to deal with them maybe being teased. We didn't want them to be an outcast. See, this is the thing is there's no villains in here. There's just defense mechanisms and, you know, going back to being aware of what we're doing and not on autopilot. So I'm going to bring up an example that scares me a little bit. Okay. uh, But I think it might be interesting. So I I think I've come full circle on this. So we have... um, a freshman in high school and a senior in high school. And what Kathy and I have been doing this school year is in the morning, we've been waking up with them. And for the, most of the days, we make their lunches. Uh-huh. And there's a part of me, it's like, why are we making these almost grown-ups lunches? Uh-huh. And and my full circleness, because if you went two years back, I'd be like, no, they got to make their own lunches. It's a very rigid mindset right. from, from me. Mm-hmm. And now I like look at who they are and what they do, and they totally manage their own academic career. They manage their own social thing. They do their own laundry. Like they do all these other things. Uh So the lunches are just a way for me and us, me and you to connect with the girls in the morning. Well, and and let me ask this. And it's not all this, uh, there's not all this story that I used to have around it. Like we're just helping them out. If you and I were gone in the morning, which we have been before, sure. could the girls do it yes. themselves? They absolutely know how. They've yeah. done it themselves. They know how to do it. They get up with enough time. Got it. What you and I are doing or what I'm doing, I'll just speak to myself, is when I come downstairs, I want to talk to them in the morning. Yeah. I want to see them off. And I'm standing there at the counter anyway. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, do you want me to do this part while you're doing that part? Yeah, because they're, you know, talk about getting out the door in the morning. There's a lot there. And the reason that I am able to do that, I don't, that's not crossing my boundaries. Again, boundaries is a big part here because you and I have had moments where one of our kids is like sitting there and they're like, will you fill my water bottle? Mm -hmm. And we're like, but you're right there and you're not doing anything. So that doesn't make any sense. But if you're upstairs getting ready and you're like, I'm, you know, can you help me with this? It makes sense. Like everything. and, And then there's lots of, 
This is so. Um, I think the mo- before before you say, it, yeah. I think the most important thing you just shared is, can they do this themselves? Correct. And the answer is absolutely of yes. If they get to college and they do their own laundry, but I think if we send our kids off to college and they don't know how to, you know, do their own laundry, that's a problem. When the way I look at my kids' day is, I am not doing much at all when it comes right. to their education. Like yeah. I'm not that involved with anything. I mean, they let me occasionally, they'll be like, will you edit this? Will you read over this? But for the most part, I am not involved. So they're doing that all on their own. Like you said, they're doing their own laundry. They're yeah. doing this, they're doing that. So my, the things I'm doing at this point, at the age that they're at is very small. Yeah, compared to 10 years, think about all the things that we did for And that's the thing. I think part of the reason when the girls were little that I was always so overwhelmed and tired. So for those of you who have children who are younger who are like, well, I basically do everything for my kids. (laughs) Like I put their socks on. Yeah, of course you do Mm -hmm. because they they are learning how to do it. But then there's points in time where they may, like for example, one of the things that all three of the girls have said to us, thank you for doing this for us, was we didn't tell them what to wear, Mm -hmm. okay? And we had clothes available, and then they decided what they were going to wear. And let me be clear. The outfits were often nuts. Skylar would wear her jacket backwards. Backwards, yes. And there was a lot of stripes and a lot of patterns and a lot of things that didn't match, but they loved it. And we, so somebody who is too enmeshed would be like, well, I don't, I'm not comfortable with you going out and wearing that or, you know, because that is a reflection of me. I believe my child is me. And so then other people may think that I'm not dressing my child well, that I don't have style. It has nothing to do with you. This is your kid. Now, I'm not talking about not letting them wear shoes to school or something. Mm -hmm. There's Uh, there's some basic structures of like, we're going to wear shoes. You're going to wear a coat, you know, that kind of stuff. Well, you know what that reminds me of? I remember, I don't know if it was one of our daughters asked you this, um, but this is when our kids were little. And I remember being like, what if you were at the grocery store and Uh one of our kids melted down and we're supposed to be this podcasting, Zen parenting experts on parenting? Like, I don't know if, I don't know if it was hypothetical or if I was really asking you that question, is wouldn't you be, whatever, embarrassed, nervous that your kid was melting down? And you said, no, as long as I felt like I could meet my daughter in that moment, you know, kids have meltdowns. Well, yeah, I mean, it. I mean, I'm not saying the question doesn't make sense to me because it does, but of course I wouldn't because that's what children do. Right. Like I don't, the, I, the whole idea when people are like, aren't you worried because you talk about parenting that your children will have issues? I'm like, no, Mm. I talk about children. That's what human beings do. Guess who else has issues? Me. Mm -hmm. Like there's no, I have no fear of people having human experiences. What you and I talk about is how do we respond to human experiences? And the reason I think I brought it up is because you talked about we, sometimes people, including us maybe, is our kids are a reflection upon who we are. And Correct. really, they're they're not. We're two in, individuals, we, two separate individuals. And that's what healthy boundaries yeah. are. So boundaries just aren't about like, I'm going to say no and yes. Boundaries are, do you know where you begin and do you know where they end and you begin? Yeah. If you don't, then you are enmeshed. Mm-hmm. If you are like, if your whole day is about how to help your child solve a problem, then you are not focused on your own needs. Right. And and there may be a, an old codependency of your needs aren't important. Mm-hmm. It's just about everybody else's. Or it crosses over into you are over-identifying with your kids where you think that you are somehow in charge of what they're doing. And this is, you know, over-identifying. So all of these things are... This is where words, there is a difference between enmeshment, over-identification, and codependency, but not enough for people to really worry about yeah, this. Right. There, it's an understanding of, do you know where you are in space and time? Do you know your child and your partner is in a different space and time, and that your needs are valuable and their needs are valuable, and that you have to find this dance between the two? And can you hold the space for your loved one to be having a crappy day yes. and allow them to have it? without us being 
dragged down to that same level with them. And also understanding why you have the reaction you do, because I really do, I think we all have a fear of abandonment. We all have a fear of disappointing other people, but some people have it really extreme mm -hmm. because they really needed, like if, if we're going back into their childhood, their parents not... Um, feeling disconnected from their parents would actually threaten their survival. Yeah. So this like idea of I'm going to have my own needs and not focus on yours completely. If you have a parent who's really struggling, that could threaten your survival if sure. you did that. So you learned to put your needs on the furthest back burner so you could always make sure you could survive. The problem is, is if you're using that in your partnership then you are disappearing yeah. into your marriage because you are basically saying the way I'm going to survive is I'm going to make my partner happy all the time and make sure they get their needs met. Sure. But then you disappear and it's going to fall apart in some way or you're going to fall apart. Yeah. You know, you're going to lose your sense of self. So you view yourself on your perceived usefulness to others. You have poor boundaries. You need control, which is the interesting one where then we say, okay, realize how you are trying to exert control over other people. You fear abandonment. Um, control, control. You must learn control. You probably have trouble communicating. I. The thing is, is where I am now, it's been, uh, Todd and I have been married 20 years, and this process of my over-identification with people and the idea that I think that my worth is based on helping others has been this like continuous conversation. I didn't, if Todd would say, I don't want to do this or, you know, do you want to, you know, take up golf together 20 years ago, I would have been like, yes, yes. Do you want to watch NFL all day? Yes. Yes. Because I want to be with you. And I would not have needs to make sure that he felt loved. And that then I felt valued because he loved me more. I had to slowly incrementally identify what I wanted to do and share that. Not just get mad at Tad, Todd for saying, do you want to watch NFL all day? I had to begin to share. I actually would rather do, I'd rather read. I'd rather not sit in here. I You'd would rather, rather watch The Watcher. <laughs> oh, God. The Watcher. Is anybody watching The Watcher? Don't bother. So confused. Don't bother. Well... Should we say that? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, uh, we should. I, I love true crime stuff. I'm just confused. And I'm also unless, not done. Unless The Watcher is a comedy, then watch it. <laughs> so many good people in The Watcher. So many good people. This is a Netflix series that just dropped recently. And it's uh, it's based on a true story. Oh, my God. Air quotes. Don't get me started. It's a little... They took some liberties. Uh, Let's a, just say just that. Just a few. But it's really confusing. Um, but anyway, that's a whole nother thing. I digress. I digress. But what I'm saying is that, you know, something that I write about in my book and Todd and I talk about on the show is the same issues show up wearing different pants, right? So I was eventually able to share with Todd, these are the things I want to do or don't want to do. And it didn't mean that I needed to make him feel bad for wanting the things he wanted. What I was doing was, it's like Velcro. I was like, I was like unvelcroing us. Do you want to be like the fuzzy part or the sharp part? Oh, uh, I'm the fuzzy part. You're the fuzzy. All right, I'll be the other one. They're both kind of fuzzy, aren't they? No, no. The other one is very, it's not fuzzy at all. It's it's almost like hurts to the touch. Well, then neither of us are that. You don't hurt to the touch. No, I you're know. You're a good person. But the fuzzy is kind of like annoying. Well, yeah. So why don't we not focus on the texture and the, and focus on the... I want to focus the, on the texture. <laughs> on the, like the analogy I'm trying to give. So we, I had to unvelcro myself from Todd and recognize that I am someone who needs something and he is something, someone that needs something. And our ability to be together is about our ability to communicate with each other what we want and love each other, not because of the things we're giving to each other all the time, but because we value each other's humanity. I, and that sounds so cheesy, but it's like in my relationship with Todd, it's like, he doesn't love me because I do certain things for him. He loves me and Period. I love him. And that has, and that isn't how we started. Yeah. That's something that grew. That's where, you know, people, I was just talking to your dad last night about marriage and, you know. You're getting some nuggets of wisdom <laughs> from my dad. <laughs> and we were talking, you know, why people break apart. And the thing is, is that, you know, a lot of times people say, cause they fought too much. Conflict is not a problem. 
if you're fighting in a way that is hurting each other, it's a problem. But conflict is actually where you talk about your own needs. So conflict is necessary. Fighting and yelling at each other is not necessary. It's that word fighting. I always struggle with that word Mm -hmm. because people have an idea of what fighting means. And what I mean is I come and I say, Todd, this makes me uncomfortable. I don't like this. This is not what I want. And then we, you know, it can get kind of uncomfortable and messy, but we figure it out. Well, and it's also an opportunity to connect more deeply through conflict. And it's not through the conflict, but it's through the repair. Yeah. Like, and the thing that I get most excited about for my daughters and all three of them have had these experiences in the last couple of years is their ability to have healthy conflict with their friends and loved ones is I have watched all three of them have really hard discussions with people where they have been able to own their part of it and also tell somebody else how they've been hurt. And I could, that's the most proud, I mean, you know, get rid of school and all that kind of stuff. When they have come home or I have witnessed them having those conversations where they have been able to find that middle place of like, here's what I did and here's what I didn't do and here's where I should have shown up or whatever. And also this is where you hurt me and this is where I struggle. And then the ability to listen, I'm like, if you can do that, girls, you're set. And they've shown us that they can do that. Yeah. And that's a lot, kind of what you just said, that's a lot more important to to what they got in biology this semester. Exactly. Like they can, if you can get through life where you can set, have your needs, Notice other other people's needs and communicate those things in a way that's like healthy. Ooh. So it's funny. I know we got to get close out soon, yeah. and this is probably a whole podcast, and we may not even want to share it. But um, you know, we had uh, the four of us had all, were all in a disagreement at the dinner table last week. Yeah. I was, and it's what we realized, because it, it was a good 30-minute discussion, and yeah, it's it was not hard. like we're screaming at each other no. or anything, but there was a vehement disagreement of people saying that they're not being heard. But what I realized was all, well, I can't speak for anybody else, but I was acting from my own wounds. For sure. And I think I you were too. Well, yes, I definitely, but can you tell me this, and you tell me if I am wrong, because I might be. I think... I was having the exact same experience that we were just talking about where I wasn't doing something outwardly. Mm-hmm. I was having an experience inwardly. Yeah. Because while I would like to agree with you and say, yes, I was reacting from my wounds, I wasn't reacting. Right. You paused more than I did. Yeah. You, you um, were more curious about how do I want to show up, whereas I shut down and got quiet and because two people I love were in a debate. Let's well, say. our daughters were arguing about something and we were kind of, and they were like, just let us talk let us through this. So I had to sit there and mm-hmm. witness it, which is really hard to do. And some parents might out there might be like, uh, that's Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. Mm-hmm. But for whatever reason, this was a little bit more heated than normal. And it just brought me back to when my parents would argue. And I got right. really quiet and really scared. And then I, I probably um, reacted a bit and you know, used my language and not like, I think I said something like, well, don't bring your history to the table or something like that to one of my kids. When you were completely bringing your history to the correct. table. Correct. Yes. Correct. So anyways, it was just a really interesting. Well, here's what I will own because um, I, when those arguments are happening, I go into therapist mode. So I don't, oh, I don't react, but I do try to control it. Mm-hmm. And, and what I try and control is making sure everybody has a turn. Yes. So see the way that I could describe this is is my skill set, but it's also a bit of a I don't feel comfortable in this, so how do I control it? Sure. There is a reason why I became a therapist, everybody. We all react from our own experience where if I feel like I want people to do things a different way, how about I go into a field where I get to help people do things in a different <laughs> way? Okay? So this is not so I, I just, and in some ways, like I will say, I think at least I pushed all of that discomfort into a positive spin. Like I took my discomfort with people's, um, what I perceive to be inappropriate behavior and tried to learn ways to help them. Mm -hmm. So instead of becoming more like them or becoming more angry, but I will admit to the fact that I do try to control the conversation where I will say, now, hold on a second. No. This person speaks next. Like, I am trying to, you know, the t- the over-identification I am having is I am feeling everybody's experience, and I'm like, now he needs to speak. Now she needs to speak. And the and the thing that I always have to remember is I, 
I'm feeling things, but I might not be right mm-hmm. about what everybody is feeling. Cause well, and like, what does it even mean to be right? I, 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 I know why you would say that. And I would say the same thing, mm-hmm. but when I say, when I think I'm right, it just means I'm viewing this through my lens. Correct. And you're viewing it through your lens. And my two daughters are viewing it from their lens, which are very different lenses. My version of what right means is that I am making sure that everybody feels seen and heard because this conversation will continue if people feel seen and heard. Mm -hmm. They can sit through other people's criticism if they also feel they're getting an opportunity to say what they need to say. That fights break down or arguments or conflict break down because one person is trying to dominate the whole thing and win Mm -hmm. or dominating in a passive aggressive way. Like there's lots of different games that we play in an argument where we're like, I'm going to make you feel guilty. I'm going to make you feel ashamed. I'm going to bring up old stuff. And that other person, you're never going to get them to. But if in that conversation, what I needed because the point was well taken that if one person is their reaction is to cry and the other person's reaction is to be a little more steely, we tend to veer toward the person who's crying because we are so uncomfortable with that emotion. But, and we're uncomfortable with the steeliness Mm -hmm. and is, are we uncomfortable with that emotion because that is a woman who is offering that steeliness? Do we think there should, they should be more nice Mm -hmm. Do we think that they should be responding in a people pleasery way? Sure. We have to see all these things in real time, and we're also being um, activated sure. by the experience. So it's like there's it was just interesting that there was so many different things going yes, on in at this once. thirty minute conversation. I would have loved a video camera, and then we would do a play-by-play like Peyton and Eli Manning on Monday right. Night Football. Oh, my God. Wouldn't that and be say, fun? okay, look at Todd. Look at what Todd's doing. Yes. Todd is leaning back. Closing, closing his eyes. Closing his eyes and pretending and not wanting to be in the room. And then when he speaks, he looks forward. He yeah. doesn't look at anybody. Yeah. <laughs> so he's not even talking to the people here. He's right. talking to his parents yes, and his right. mind. Right. And he's he gets this like this like catch in his throat where he mm-hmm. sounds like he's going to cry. Mm-hmm. And then he says something that he thinks is like the most loving, mm-hmm. like at least you're not like a yeller. Mm-hmm. You don't get mad and yell, but right. you get really like, we need to help and keep these people safe. Well, and what I wanted, and when we're reactive, we, it's really hard to do this. I just wanted to be able to create the space for everybody's feelings at the table. And that's hard to do when you're in the middle of a rupture, in the middle of a debate, in the middle of, like, that's a really self-aware thing to be able to do is, can we, like, just oh, just hold the space for somebody to be mad? I couldn't do that. Well, and that's it was the easier thing. for me to hold space for the person that was tearing up. So that sentence you just said, can we hold the space for everybody's feelings? No, you could hold the space for the person who was sad. Yes. You couldn't hold the space right. for the person who was mad. 100% because guilty. Because you, and again, I'm not talking about you, Todd. I'm going to take it off of Todd for a second, like I'm going to you know, unhook from you. But what are the reasons for that? Do you feel women should not be angry? And again, this is not you. Mm-hmm. Do you feel like girls should be nice to each Mm -hmm. other? Do you feel that when someone cries, everybody should cater to Mm -hmm. them? Do you feel just uncomfortable and you want it to stop? And these are the things like that we, this is, I mean, let's just go back to how we started this podcast, questioning. Mm -hmm. Why do we do what we do? Why do we say what we say? And we may not be able to get down to the deepest, you know, depths, but there's these surface beliefs that we have where we believe we end up teaching over identification. Sure. We end up saying, oh, this person's sad, cater to them. Mm-hmm. And you also don't need to jump all over them. And we had that kid say, don't- Don't cater to me. Come save me. Yeah, don't save me. Let me stand up on my own two yes. feet. And I still sometimes see that child as uh, needing more, more support, support because somebody angry already seems to be in a more powerful position. Right. So it's just scarier. It's easier to hold the space for somebody who feels vulnerable. But isn't anger vulnerability too? That's a great question. And I think she it said is. that to us. She's like, you think yes. that this person is more uncomfortable than I am, but I am just right. as uncomfortable. That's such, such an interesting point is it's easier for me to view sadness 
as vulnerability, uh, as vulnerability yes. when it would have been easier for this kid to not be mad and just go inward and stuff all that all that Pretend anger that she down. Wasn't mad. And yeah, so I think it, it there is vulnerability in in anger, right? For sure. And again, anger is about the feeling, not about if someone is yelling, throwing, being violent. I know we can't be like, "Good job!" Like yeah. that's that's behavior. Yeah. We're talking about the feeling that was being expressed was anger. I hope people can track what we're because we know the situation. We knew the the subject of the conversation. Well, one kid was angry, one kid was sad. Yeah. But they were talking about the same thing mm-hmm. and they were trying to figure it out. Yeah. And they both have the right to their feeling. Yeah. And they both, we as a society, it's kind of like the thing where someone gets hurt and we're just like, go say you're sorry. Mm-hmm. And the other kid is like, well, wait a second. I get this whole like, I'm supposed to say sorry, but I don't know what I learned here. I don't know what this means. What about the fact that I got hurt five minutes ago? There were so many different things going on. Exactly. The end result was fine though. I mean, it's not that everybody leaves an argument and or a conflict and then everybody's like, let's do a big group hug. But the way that it, the way that I feel like we set it down and were able to walk away was everybody was heard. Nobody won. Mm Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Sure. W-O-N. The minute that you somebody wins an argument, the both parties have lost. Absolutely. Yeah. Because that and and the thing we're always trying to do is let's not harm this relationship. And right? one one kid happens to be older and really eloquent in her communication style. And we had to also explain to them this power dynamic is always going to be this power dynamic because you are older. Mm -hmm. So you think that this should be even, like she should relate to you the way you relate to her, but you're older. So this power dynamic will always be skewed. So we have different personality types. Mm -hmm. We have different experiences. We have different ages. We have different ways of relating to the world. And these two people are trying to manage all these things in a conversation. This, and then you and I, as the parents, have our own history of how we manage conflict. And so you and I are trying to engage in a way to not stop this conflict, but to also kind of, it's kind of like the, um, you know, the, the thing that we always talk about where you're walking on the balance beam yeah. and we are trying, they are on the balance beam together. Yeah. And we are trying to stand on the outside without like tripping them yeah. with our own crap. Yeah. And you we're know? also not propping them up to make sure that they stay on the balance beam. And we're also not going to do a, I think this kid should win today, Mm -hmm. win, Mm -hmm. because they had a hard day. Like we're not throwing in a bunch of things that have nothing to do with what's happening. Yeah. I think the thing that is most interesting to me is the awareness. And I didn't have it, you know, we, this was a week ago. Right. And I didn't get this awareness until you and I just talked it through again, is it does require vulnerability to be angry. Yes. But isn't there times when it requires no vulnerability to be angry? Well, if that's an autopilot, because remember, anger can be second tier. Yeah. You can feel embarrassed, mm-hmm. jump over it, yeah. and then go to anger right. because you don't want to demonstrate that you were actually hurt. Right. But there is also the anger that she was experiencing was she was very clear about, I feel unseen yeah. and unheard when you do this, and it makes me mad. Yeah. She wasn't embarrassed by something she was, and she could also at the, at one point she used the word sad too. Mm. So sometimes when you feel sad, that makes you mad that you're feeling sad. What I think underneath it all is fear, just to throw one more. Of course. You know, and the fear is, I go, I don't know if it was Brene's quote is, am I enough? Like that is, whether it's anger, fear, sadness, anxiety, underneath it all is am I enough, which I think is a fear thing. It's like a survival thing. Am I enough? The two the two things that we hear in our heads the most are who do you think you are mm-hmm. and you are not enough. Mm-hmm. And so when you try and get too big and too wise, your brain will say to you, you're nobody. Yeah. And when you are, you know, when you are attempting to be big and wise, your brain will say to you, you don't have what it takes. Well, it's so funny because I'm so far behind and it's, I'm so, we have to, we have to stop because I got to go. But what's interesting is what we've been talking about most of this podcast is the codependency, Uh which is on the left, you're way too codependent. On the right, you're way too uh, walled off. Walled off, yeah. You like don't have any sensitivity. And that's the X axis. And then Terry Rio, who's one of my favorite authors, 
on the y-axis, the up-down is the grandiosity, mm-hmm. the, the the bigness, how we show up, and this grandiose nature, thinking mm-hmm. we're better than anybody else. And then below, on the at the bottom of that y-axis is shame. Yeah, it's like I'm not, I'm not worthy of anything. Yeah, and it's this sweet spot in between these four ideas: codependency, too many boundaries, uh, or too closed off, and then grandiosity and shame. And there's a sweet spot in the middle. Then. It's a dance that we're always trying to navigate and through. The sweet spot in the middle to me is I am special and so is everybody else. Mm-hmm. And that's just a very simplistic elementary way to remember that your needs are valuable. You are special. You are unique. Everybody else is too. Yeah. So you are not more unique or special than someone else. They have the same experience you do. So the invitation for myself would be, we go back to where we start with the Zen parenting moment, which is questioning, questioning. and pausing. Mm-hmm. Am I being <clears throat> codependent right now? Am I being too detached right now? Mm-hmm. Am I being grandiose right now? Mm-hmm. Or am I experiencing shame right now? Mm-hmm. Just pause and notice what's happening. And it's it's a lifelong journey. And if you are feeling like, you know, your kids' issues really bother you sometimes, is there is there a space? It's not about don't let them bother you. They're going to bother you. You love them. Yeah. They're going to... but. Do you then believe you can't go on a walk? Yeah. Do you then believe that you should cancel all your plans because your kid is struggling? Does your whole life shut down when your kids are struggling? Because that's a problem. Sure. Be- because <clears throat> you don't help them when you don't have a foundation. Right. I'm coughing. Good. Coffee, <coughs> Cofferton. All right. Um, okay, sorry. So a sorry, few everybody. things. Jeremy Kraft, he's our sponsor from the first podcast to the 680th podcast. If you live in Chicago or the Chicagoland area, and you want to get your house painted, you want a new kitchen, you want a new basement, call Jeremy, 630-956-1800. And two things for me. If you, um, I have a book called Zen Parenting, um, Caring for Ourselves and Our Children in an Unpredictable World. You can go buy that anywhere. It's in bookstores, it's in libraries, it's on Amazon and all the book places. The second thing you can do is you can subscribe to Zen Parenting Moment. If you scroll down, I send out a Zen Parenting Moment every Friday. That's what Todd and I always start talking about on the show. Um, And it's free. There's nothing to it. You just subscribe to it. You can unsubscribe. People unsubscribe and then come back and subscribe. Like It's just free Something to think about, similar to the show. So you can subscribe below. And I'll throw in a plug for uh, Men Living. Uh, If there's any guys out there and they want to connect deeply and live fully, check out menliving.org. And then I also coach guys one-on-one, toddadamscoaching.com. And there's our music. And, you know, this was a messy conversation because we didn't really figure everything out. Yeah. And there's a lot of overlap. And, and I sometimes feel like, ooh, I wanted to, like, put the strings together because that's what I like to do. No strings. No strings today. All right, guys. Keep trucking. See you soon. Bye. Thanks for listening, everyone. If you have appreciated or enjoyed a decade of Zen Parenting Radio podcasts, please tell a friend or leave a five-star review. We are always grateful for your support. If you want more Zen Parenting, consider joining Team Zen pre-ordering Kathy's Zen Parenting book or subscribing to Zen Parenting Moment. You can find these opportunities and more at zenparentingradio.com. If you want to connect through social networking, you can follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Keep trucking, and we will talk to you again next week.